family family dispute. And uh, I was thinking about this. I, I was listening to somebody. Uh, I forget it. Well, I, I think I know who it is. I don't have to mention their name, but it was a minister. And they were saying that uh, their, they were having a meeting and uh, their child was kind of running around and uh, kind of out of order, I guess. And uh, there was someone, one of the persons that worked there uh, kind of got upset with her kid and, you know, said harsh words to him or was loud or something. But it was kind of embarrassing for everybody. And she was saying that she got, uh, she got angry and fired him and... And I was sitting there listening and I'm thinking, and she made this statement. She said, now think, if we feel that way about our children, how do you think God feels when somebody messes with us? Except that's not right. See, that's not right. You got me? That's not right. See, we can't put God in our category ever. See, you can't put God in your category you can't put him in a human category because we're all his kids. Amen. So which one of your kids do you fire? Which one do you throw out of the house? You got me? You don't want to throw any of them out. You can have parents that have drug addict kids that are trying to give drugs to all the other kids and their heart bleeds to throw them out of the house. So when you think about it, this is a family dispute between people. I don't care if you're blood kin, you're not blood kin, whatever. Uh, we are family. I got all my sisters in me. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? <laughs> so <laughs> you have to understand that God's... And I did, I talked to God about it. I said, God, why don't I get a witness in my spirit about that? Now you feel it, you get a witness in your emotions, your flesh says, yeah, that, that's right, that's right, you know. <clears throat> but when you think about it, God has a higher level of living. He has a higher order of things. And God has to settle family disputes a different way. And he's already settled them. Every dispute that you will ever have with any other human being is settled through the blood court. Amen. Settled by the blood. God had to have a higher level of settling disputes. And he chose to give the life of his son as a ransom for all sin, disobedience, disagreement. Because really the problem is sin. It's not somebody's short temper and it's not the preacher's kid being unruly again. You know you know how those situations can go. You know people, there's a preacher kid uh, stereotype. You know, somebody who breaks all the rules and never gets punished, <laughs> gets away with murder in the church, causes all the trouble in the church, backbite, does all that stuff, never get, never get told on, you know. And so we have to understand that there are uh, preconceived notions about people, situations, their position in life, the influence they have on authority, the influence they have on the father, the influence they may have on the, the people in charge, you know, that kind of thing. And they play into the way we relate to one another. And so if you look at the first family dispute ever recorded in the Bible was between Cain and Abel. Amen. Cain, because he did not give the proper sacrifice as atonement for his sin, and his brother did. 
Amen. Cain's sin piled up, piled up, and piled up, and piled up, and piled up. And his brother walked in forgiveness and righteousness and harmony with God. And so it got to the point, it was so bad on Cain that he got angry because here his brother was doing everything right. He was doing stuff wrong. And because his brother did it right, he couldn't get away with it. We're going to always have people doing right things around us to bring us under conviction and know that we're not doing everything right. You understand what I'm saying? But God said if you do the right thing, huh? You could live like your brother. You could live in harmony with me and everything would be right. And so God instituted the blood atonement for sin as the way to settle all family disagreements. We've got to understand this. That God doesn't care. The most important thing to God is that you have fellowship with him. And we have fellowship with one another. And that fellowship not be broken for any reason. And so he's made full provision for everything that would separate us as a living family down there. He's even made provision for the sinner that that uh, persecutes the Christian. That backbites us. He's made the cross as a provision for them. Just like it provided for us. And so he wants everybody to come under the power of the blood atonement. And in, if you're under the power of the blood atonement, you can't hold anything against anybody. You don't have any kind of disagreements that can't be settled if we were to forgive all that kind of stuff. So the remedy for the family dispute is always, the answer has always been found in the blood atonement. It's going to be found there. I don't care who you dispute with, who you don't like, what they did to you, how long they did it, and how cruel they were doing it. It's found in the blood atonement if we will rely on that and we will be able to get understanding of that. One of the things that that I found kind of interesting about this is that this woman gave a, a, a situation, an example of a situation where it seemed that one person had a powerful advantage over the other person. One person was favored over the other person. You know, if it's a preacher's kid, who's going to get mad at the preacher's kid and make it known? You know, and, and you know, that kind of stuff that people, they always assume you have favored status. They always assume that you are never going to be charged with anything that you do wrong. You understand what I'm saying? So there's this disparity. There's a, somebody's got an advantage up here and somebody's down here. Well, God comes to level the playing field with the blood because that levels everything out. And it makes it so that God becomes the judge in these situations. And we leave them up to God. And we walk in harmony. If somebody else is in charge of judgment, you don't have to. And you could live a wonderful life, you know. You can be free of all that bondage. And that nonsense. And this has been true uh, forever. It was true with the nation of Israel. And I want to talk more about that. About our coming into covenant with God. Uh, and, and that playing field being leveled out. But I did want to go through some scripture. In Mark eleven twenty four. It tells you if you have anything against anybody. You must forgive. The forgiveness is a must. And let me tell you why. It doesn't cost you anything. I'm going to say it again. It does not cost you anything. Even though you don't want to do it because you think it means something other than what it means. See, we forgive. Why I got to be the one all the time. Why I got to be the one all the time. 
why I got to be the one all the time. Because you're the one standing in need of it. See? It's funny. You know, you can do you can do something that's minor. And somebody's up the wall about it for four days. And they think nothing of it. You know, they can see people do wrong all day long. It doesn't move them one, one way. So you're the one with the problem. See, we always think when we're upset and we're offended that we're living high up here and somebody else is doing all the wrong. And they disturb, they disturb in my world. But really, your world is disturbed already. <laughs> you live a disturbed life. It's like Jesus told Martha when she came in there, she got busted because I, I am of the opinion, as a, as a mature cooking woman, that Martha uh, bit off more than she could too, too telling all the men she was going to cook them up some dinner. I'm going to fry some fish. You know, I can throw down. We never had your food, Martha. Oh, I can throw down. She was dependent on Mary to come in there and help her. And see, when Mary decided she was going to stay in there and worship and hear what Jesus had to say, because that's far more important than, not that the other one ain't. Over there clapping all loud. <laughs> you, ain't getting, you ain't getting a pass on cooking them grits and greens. Come on now. I heard that. But at the time, it was far more important you know, than, than uh, what was cooking in the kitchen. And so she was, she was upset with her and came running. And Jesus said this to, to Martha. He said, this, your sister ain't your problem. You got, you're bothered by a lot of stuff, lady. Huh? He said, you got a lot of problems, Martha. He said, your sister ain't your problem. And I say that to myself and everybody. The presenting problem is seldom the problem. It's our attitudes about life in general, our attitudes about offenses, our attitudes about all of this stuff. Even to the point where Jesus said, if you have something, he said, if your brother has something against you. If you get around somebody and they seem to be uncomfortable or tense around you or something, like he says, you go to them. See, reconciliation is so important. And go to them. You know, when you go to somebody and try to get things, get peace with them, you don't go to, what you, what you looking like that at me for? You, you mad at me at something? You want, you want a piece of me? You know, you don't get De Niro on them. You know what I'm saying? You go in an attitude of meekness. You know, like, you know, can I talk to you? I noticed that you don't seem to be comfortable. Is there something I'm doing, doing wrong? Is there something that we need to get straightened out? What, 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 what? You understand what I'm saying? Meekness always, the Bible says, a soft answer turns away wrath. And so we have to, see, your, your, your quest is to reconcile with that person. It's not to get them to admit to something so that you can be the interrogator and get an advantage over them. And so you need to go to God immediately and forgive and make things right in your heart so that when you go to that person, peace ensues. You're not, you know, many times we can't get it right because we are angry when we go to somebody and we put them on the spot and they get angrier and say, no, it's nothing. There's something wrong with you. You want a piece of me? And then, you know, then you, <laughs> then it goes downhill from there. You understand what I'm saying? And so we have to look at reconciliation and peace as our ultimate goal with everybody. You want peace with everybody. And when I say peace, I 
I mean that everything's under the blood. That kind of peace. Not the kind where people just stop saying anything because they can't get through to you. You understand? Or vice versa. You want the real peace. I was listening to um, Bill Withers. Somebody did a special on him where they recently caught up with him like in the last five years you know he was a singer was very popular in the 80s and then he kind of dropped off the radar for a while but you hear his songs all the time like lean on me and uh, just the two of us songs like that that he did well he was a stutterer all of his life and somehow i forget the testimony but he he was able to overcome it and of course we the people who know him as a singer and entertainer don't know of that but he said it was horrible for him all of his life. He stuttered. People would say, well, just spit it out. Get angry with him and stuff. He said, I found he was giving a talk to a group of people. There's an association that helps stutterers. So he was at one of their annual meetings to, you know, address the group and all that. And he said something I thought was very wise. He said, he said if you're going to overcome this, he said, if you're going to live a normal life, even with this, you know, deficiency. He said, you must cultivate resonant forgiveness on the inside of you for everybody who says anything to you about this. He said, you have to have it. He said, and you must give it freely to all people who offend you. And I thought that was, and, and, and you know, it's, no, these aren't just, these aren't Christians that I know of or anything, probably some are. But he said within you can reside uh, forgiveness, instant forgiveness for anybody that says any. And this is what God wants us to cultivate. Resident forgiveness within us for all offenses, no matter who does them. Amen. No matter how often they occur. And this is how he keeps his family together. This is how he settles the family dispute. So in Matthew 5.24, it talks about if there's anything, if your brother has something against you, how to treat that. In 23, it says, therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there at the altar you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift before the altar and go your way and first be reconciled to your brother and then after that come and offer a gift and so what god is saying my family being at peace with one another is so important to me that i know you're worshiping me and offering me things but stop it and go make things right with him first and then come and offer your gift to me God expects clean hands, a pure heart before him at all times. If there's something there that needs to be taken care of, he wants that taken care of first. And then you stand in righteousness again and you can make your gift to God. He does not like continual offenses in his family. And so we're to be reconciled. He doesn't care who did what first. How long they've been doing it or what the problem is. He wants us to live in peace with one another. That's why he, he uh, um, gave us the blood atonement. The blood atonement, the blood of Jesus is so powerful. The Bible says that he sealed every promise with an oath. That, that surely blessing he will bless us, surely multiply. There's no doubt about it what's in God's mind when he uh, uh, sent his son to the cross for, to die for all sins. Uh, 
God knows that the power that's in the blood, if we will avail ourselves of it, will take care of everything that will happen against us in life. And that is so powerful. There's there's no reason to fear anything or anybody. There's no reason to shrink back from stepping out in faith. There's no reason for anything. Anything that you might do, say for instance in, in, in your job, you know, if you're new at your job, there are other people that know the job better than you do. There's other people there. If God placed you there, and listen, if God opened that door and you're a child of God, he put you there. You got me? Don't ever get in doubt about whether God wants you to have things that, that just cause you to prosper. You know, he's all for that. And so when God places you somewhere, he places you there because he intends for you to hold on to that as long as you desire to hold on to it. It will bless you. It will be a blessing to you. Everything. And so you don't have to worry about anybody else being more competent on the job. You don't have to worry about coming short of anything, not being able to learn the job, any of that stuff. Because the blood of Jesus is so powerful, it ends all of the contention and strife about anything. See, it ends it. The Bible says an oath of confirmation is to men an end of all strife. So that blood puts an end to every uh, dispute, every argument, every unfairness, every uh, whatever it is. I don't care what it is that you're facing. The blood of Jesus, that blood atonement, pays the price, takes care of it, and renders the people who receive of it. In a a mentality of peace. More than that, in a spirit of peace that encompasses everything that you do. It it, it assures you a fair treatment. It assures you of a a good chance, a fair chance. It assures you of all of those things. It's just that sometimes we make our own disadvantages in our own mind. By not letting the blood do its work. There's always an anti-blood running around here telling you things amen oh you're not pretty enough you know or you're not you know this job i didn't see no qualifications had to be pretty on the you understand what i'm saying well you're not smart enough i didn't see that on there either i just saw pray and ask god to open that door and he opened that door for me and i'm in see i'm in I'm God's pick and I'm in. And so we have to, amen, and we have to settle these things within ourselves. You, you have to settle, you know, these, these uh, the oath of confirmation. Once God confirms and ratifies his promise to you, his covenant to you, you are the head, not the tail. You're, you're above only. Not beneath. You're not beneath anybody. Nobody's greater than you in this. Nobody's better than you in this. You're well qualified to do what it is that you're called to do. Look at all the people who are in high places that that don't even think normal. You know, I mean, some of the politicians people have elected. You know, texting and sexting the people and all this crazy stuff on their, you know, on government time. They're hardly doing their job. Yet we look up to them. We honor them. You know, they're, they're living in mansions and all this kind of, and they're depraved human beings. 
I'm sure God would rather have somebody in that place that he can speak to, he can talk to, he can move through that person, that that person's reliable. And so whenever God places you somewhere, you have you must get peace with him through the blood of the cross. That you are the person that God placed there. God will cause you to prosper there. God will cause you to be blessed there. Everything. You have an equal advantage of anybody else there and the edge because God is with you. Amen. So because of of what Jesus Christ did, you have an edge to a degree over someone. Somebody who's just living on, on, on their worldly understanding of things is at a gross disadvantage compared to a child of God. That's why the enemy's always bringing people to the workplace to try to get you involved in something that's, you know, carnal, something stupid, to pull you off of your godly position uh, so that God doesn't have an ambassador there. He doesn't have a spokesperson there. He doesn't have anything, who anybody there who can keep that place going in the event something happens where the business isn't good or something like that. God has to keep it going because we're there. He's got a promise to us. He, we have a covenant with him that we are to keep going. And so God levels the playing field through the blood atonement. He brings everybody into equality through that blood atonement. So the mystery of the gospel unfolds in kind of a unique way. And and, uh, God settles a family dispute also through the blood. A long-standing family dispute between the Jew and the Gentile. We're all created in God's image. We all have to have equal access to God's covenant. We all, everybody who's created, must have equal access to salvation to healing, to deliverance, to all of those things. Jesus came to his own, the Bible says, and his own received him not. Why did the Jew not receive the coming Messiah? There were, the, the scriptures are full of pictures of Christ. And they, they tell the story of the Messiah. Uh, when, they, when they would read the story of Joseph, Joseph, um, theologians say, is probably the most perfect type of Christ. But you can see Christ all over the Bible. You can see him in, in examples of, of all. Uh, uh, Abel was a type of Christ because he was killed by his brother because of his relationship with God. Amen. Because he walked in perfect harmony with God. He was murdered by his own brother. Joseph, the same thing. He was thrown in prison by his own brother because he had a dream and that dream nobody could interpret at that time but just the fact that he received a dream that elevated him and seemed to not elevate the rest of him put him in jeopardy of his own life and so whenever you are in a situation and God is with you or upon you if he puts a message inside of you puts his life inside of you that will automatically draw fire from the enemy always has and it always will and so Israel was given the law and was given the covenants but then they missed the Messiah and so the Gentile that's you and that's me were able to be grafted in because we heard and we believed and we understood And so there's a mystery of the gospel there that we need to understand because 
if if God is true and God's word is true, then Israel is not at a disadvantage and we're not at an advantage, nor vice versa. We're on a level playing field. And so God wants us to understand how that playing field is leveled, how we can witness to anybody who is within earshot of what, and I know every, nobody here has any hang-ups about who can be saved. You know, when you're newly saved, you think, oh, well, they're so bad, they can't be saved. It's because you carry animosity in you, you that becomes a roadblock to you. But the Jew was, was, was put on the level playing field with the Gentile through unbelief. And so because we came in in unbelief, our sinful minds already keep us blinded to the light of the gospel. And so God had to devise a way where Israel would not have a higher advantage than the Gentile world that was around them. And so when Jesus came, he came as what the Bible calls a stumbling stone. And that's the the, the mystery of the gospel. Is Jesus who he said he was? What is the essence of his uh, presence here in the earth? Uh, Many people, because he walked around in sinful flesh or he walked around in a human body just like we were, uh, a flesh that was weak just like everybody else's flesh was, what was it about him that caused people to stumble over him? And what is it that causes people to stumble over him now? You can hear Muslims talk about Jesus and they say he's a prophet and he's a wise man. They want to patronize and give him a little bit of credit, but they don't want to put their trust in him as their savior because they are blinded in their minds to the truth of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is why intercession is so necessary for everybody uh, in the earth because what we're doing when we're interceding is we're petitioning God for his mercy so that these people can have now a clear view of who the Lord is. So the, the question of the age was, do we have a clear view of who Jesus is? Have the Gospels really given a clear view of who Jesus is and how do we approach that in in sharing Christ with people and how do we come to know uh the Lord Jesus Christ in a real in a in a, a living way a living in a new way so I'm going to read my notes that I have here it says the mystery of the gospel unfolds in a unique way God called Abraham and made a blood covenant this covenant fell onto his heirs his heirs became the recipient Of his covenant with God. Because that's the way God does things. He doesn't do it just for one person. And if you can can get a view of what God has in mind when he does everything. He has in mind more than just us. Now the the interesting thing about the, the relationship we have with God in the born again experience. It's personal to you and you might feel so special. You might think you're the only one enjoying God like this. You know, he, it's, it's amazing how he can be personal but universal at the same time. Amen. So he can be 100% in love with you and you know it because he's with you every minute of the day. You know, the last time you asked for something, uh, you got it so fast it made your head spin. You got stuff in the house now you feel guilty about because you don't remember praying for it. You, you, you know how we get. We just, you know, we trying to add up. And he can't even, you can't even add as fast as he can think. You understand what I'm saying? Huh? 
a lot of times we, and I, and I know because of trying to understand the word for myself and, and to teach other people, I'll try to track, you know, what did I do here? How did this get here? What did I do? And you can do it to a degree. But then there comes this, this thing called infinity. That when you bump into that, that's God and it blows your head off and you quit doing it because you get scared. Uh, say, God, I'm trying to figure out enough. I, when I sowed this, I got this back. And when I did this, I get this back. And when I, you sit up there and your, your mind goes, it starts to scorch on the inside of your skull. And you, you think, you, well, I'm going to stop that because I don't know how you do this, God. But I'm just going to keep doing the best I can. You understand? You can't add up. You don't add up like he adds up. Amen. Amen. And if nothing else, you'll start feeling guilty because you say, now nah, I don't remember doing nothing to get this right here. How'd that get in here? You understand what I'm saying? So we quit it after a while. But amen. You know, if, if you find something lacking or missing, the best thing to do is go to God. Don't go to your head trying to figure these things out. Amen. <laughs> you finally figure that out after a few years of living with God. So God called Abraham and made a blood covenant and it fell onto his heirs. And those are the, the Jewish nation, the people we know as the sons of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jesus Christ is the final natural heir of the seed of Abraham. That's why in the Gospels they always start out with the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And you'll see David in the family. You'll see uh, many of the patriarchs in the family. You'll see some people we don't know. Rahab's in the family. You got to see (laughs) We saw (laughs) Amen. So you see Jew and Gentile. So you see God showing us all the time. He wants everybody saved. Everybody's included. Amen. So this ends the family dispute. Through Isaac, all his seed would be blessed. Amen. God works through promise. He works through his word. He does not work through anything that he doesn't promise. Now, he'll make provision for that. He won't reject that, that he does not promise. But he works through his word. What's promised by him is what he honors. So he said, through Isaac, all your seed will be blessed. So he never promised Abraham Ishmael. He promised Isaac. He can bless and provide for Ishmael, but Ishmael did not produce the Messiah. Okay, He did not produce the Messiah. So, you know, if you want God's ultimate and best, stay with what he's promised you. Stay with what he's sanctioned in your life. It's not hard to find out what God wants you to do with your life. Just ask him. Huh? You can you can do a lot for God without even getting a, like a, a personal, you know, uh, you know, what do you, with explosions, fire, fireworks in the sky, and fifteen prophecies and all that time. Just just know that when you get saved, there's an automatic compunction in you to go and preach the gospel. Why? Because Jesus lives in you now. So if you move out of the way and continue to let him live, you'll find yourself doing everything that God expects you to do. Amen. And then some. So it's hard to miss what God has for you. He can bless and provide for Ishmael, but the inheritance is in Isaac. 
And that's what we all live for is our inheritance. And don't say you don't want it. You want it. Amen. You want eternal life. You want a power over sin. You want power over sickness. You want power over poverty. You want all of those things that are provided in, in his covenant. And our covenant is an inheritance. We are not uh, workers trying to earn something from God. We are heirs. Who live for him continually. You live continually in harmony with the Father. That's what real heirs do. Amen. You don't live outside trying to get something from him. You live in daily harmony. It's like if if your children, if you had a family business and your children were set to inherit the business. If they had no contact with you, it's real hard for them to run the business with no contact with the founder and the one who works in it every day. You know, and many children want to live apart from their families, like the prodigal, can go do what you want to do. In riotous living, just send me some money, Dad, and let me live apart from you. So this boy had no understanding of what an heir really was. He had no understanding of that. I was listening to... uh, um, uh, <laughs> this thing with Donald Trump and Rosie O'Donnell when it kicked up some years ago. Remember she was on The View and talked about what a bad parent he was and all this kind of stuff. And, and so the Lord had me kind of listen and I'm thinking to myself, why is she attacking him? You know, when sinners attack other sinners, it just, you know, it's like, okay, come on now, you know all this kind of stuff but but the lord said he said i'm doing a work in that family he said the devil hates it you see what i'm saying he said i'm doing work of reconciliation in that family he said and this man is 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 desperately trying to make sure his children are well provided for Mm-hmm. And the devil hates it. See, the devil hates it when Christians do it. He hates it when sinners do it. When you do the right thing, I don't care what kingdom you represent and what you're in, he hates that work of reconciliation. And so you see how when he had the apprentice, all his children were around him working in the business. Nobody left out. You got me. Everybody's provided for. His his children of his first marriage are extremely prominent in that. So you see that there's a, a wife of your youth that those words come to pass for those children in a greater way. And so there, there are some things that, that God does and he's working at it all the time to reconcile us back to one another. But those are the children of promise. Those are the children of the first vow. That, that vow is part of it still in force and God's drawing them back to one another. So, amen. He can bless and provide for Ishmael. Amen. But the inheritance, amen, is to Isaac and the firstborn. And so when the promise firstborn. And so when when God made this promise to Abraham, he had his finger on Isaac. And so the seed that comes through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, amen, not Esau. God said, Jacob I have loved and Esau I have hated. Why? But it had to do with how he felt about the inheritance. See, God doesn't love us if we don't love our inheritance. Amen. says, if you set your hand to the plow and you look back, my soul has no delight in you. 
So God's disturbed when his children look back and, at the world and want to go back to the world instead of going forth into his kingdom. Amen. And so his soul has no delight in them. In order to please God, you got, in, if your faith has to please God. If you don't please God, you don't get anything. Amen. You know the story of the prodigal. The one son wanted to leave and got out of the house, took everything that he thought he had coming to him. Why? He didn't value his inheritance. There's no value placed on it. And so when he he did finally return, he returned beaten up by the world and, and dragged down. And so there was this sibling rivalry all the time. Well, God knows that there's going to be that rivalry between his children, between people on the earth, nations on the earth, all of that. And so he levels the playing field at the cross. He makes it equally accessible. He makes himself equally accessible to everybody by the same means. We all got to come by way of the blood. And he has to make sure that we understand that that's the way that we have to go to get to him. So, our inheritance, God binds himself to his word to perform it. He will perform his word. Your faith should be more in God performing than in you having enough faith. It has to rest in the power of God. It cannot rest in the wisdom of men. So it can't rest in your trying to figure out what you got to do to please God to get him to do something for him. It has to rest in the power of God. If he said it, he's going to do it. And you must believe that above. At the end of the day, I don't care how much you cut up, mess up, cuss people out, didn't do nothing right at the job, stayed in the coffee room and talked about the boss half the day. At the end of the day, your faith must rest in the power of God above all your cut-ups, mess-ups. Amen. Just make sure it's just a one mess-up day and it's not a, you ain't the leader of the pack trying to get rid of the boss at the job. You understand me? And allow God to, to work his work through you so that you can be the, the type of person he wants you to be in every situation. And so God wants us to know how he makes himself accessible to all of humanity. This is the thing he wants us. You know, when we look at, say, like when we were studying about the persecuted church in the different nations. God, and you look to yourself and you say, you know, it's only 1% Christian there. It's only this percent. Listen, God makes himself equally accessible to everybody. And we have to believe that. You can't sit up and say, well, God, how come they don't have salvation? And how come you don't know what them people have in God? You know what I'm saying? You don't know what these people are. So they're reporting only 1% Christian. You don't know who God's working on. Pray for them that they will be able to see who God is. God can reveal himself to anybody. Amen. Jesus still reveals himself to people in visions and dreams. He still does it. And if he wants so if somebody wants him and will pray for God to open their hearts and open their minds, then God has equal access to them through our prayers. Amen. So we can make that assurance happen. In Okay. So Jesus then is referred to as the stumbling stone. Stumbling stone. We're going to talk about that a little bit. In 1 Corinthians, I think, I think 1 Corinthians 1 and verse is 23. 
Let's start in 18. Paul says, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But to us which are saved, it's the power of God. So we come alive with the preaching of the cross. Other people think, oh, that, it, that's not all you got to do to be saved. You know, people say things like that. They'll think about things, think like that. It says, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise <laughs> and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. And didn't he do that with the nation of Israel? They were given the law, the prophets, the covenants. They had a lock on God. You got me? There are many, many people that think that way. See, if you're thinking about the God that you serve doesn't extend to all of humanity, you're on the wrong page. And so Israel, even though they were obeying the law, they felt as best they could, or obeying the law the way God prescribed it, thought they had a lock on God, and God wasn't going to be the God of everybody else. They remember the, uh, the Syrophoenician woman who called herself a dog? Amen. And so they typically looked down on other nations of people because they felt they had God all to themselves. And they felt that if you weren't a Jew, born a Jew, and had a natural inheritance toward God, then you wouldn't get in. And so that was a stumbling block to them because that's never true. And it's never true about the one true and living God. And so Paul says here, It's written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. So God destroys that kind of knowledge. Said, where is the wise and where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of the world, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. So it's not works. It's not living like you think you should live. It's not living right all the time. It's not going for days without sinning. It's not fasting until your clothes drop off. It's none of those so-called religious things. But it's the foolishness of sending somebody out, even a child, to preach Christ to somebody. And they hear it and believe it and they get to heaven. How foolish, how simple. See, to us, it's wisdom because we're in. To people on the outside, it's foolishness. You mean all I got to do is believe Jesus Christ died for my sins and I get to go to heaven? Yes. The world now, the way it stands, have, have, have given up a long time of living right to get there. See, that's usually man's uh, thing he tries to do is live right enough for God to take you into heaven. They've given up on that. Now they give everybody wings when they die. Whether they saints, sinners, or whatever. They just graduate everybody to heaven. He's up there talking to me. I, I know he's with me all the time. Huh? They've given up on the traditional ways of, of religion getting to God. Amen? So he says, where is the wise? He says, God has made foolish the wisdom of this world. And he says, for the Jews require a sign, verse 22, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. So everybody's got their own way to God. Amen. Like Oprah Winfrey says, I believe there are many paths to God. Well, you better get on the right street. You got between now and the time you die to get on the right street. Huh? 
He says, but we preach Christ crucified. Not Christ alive like he was before. But Christ crucified. That's where your salvation is. See, the Muslims take him as a great prophet the way he was in the natural. They don't go up to the crucifixion and the blood atonement. That's foolishness to people. He says, and we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. So we're going to talk a little bit about the stumbling block. Christ crucified is a stumbling stone to the Jew and foolishness to the Gentile. First Peter 2.8 says he's a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. So people are offended when you tell them that they don't have to do all their religious ritual. That's not going to get you anywhere. You don't have to, uh, uh, you know, take communion every day like the Catholics do. You don't have to attend mass and all these things. And, you know, water baptism is an outward sign, but the baptism in the Holy Spirit is the promise. Amen. You know, it's good to have the outward sign, but, you know, if I had to make a choice, which we don't, I'd rather live in the promise. That's why... That's why those who were saved under Pentecost got them both at the same time. So they proved which one was superior. Then they had people who were water baptized and weren't baptized in the Holy Spirit. And they said, have you received since you believed? Amen. And so you want to complete everything that God has provided for us. But in 1 Peter 2.8, it says, verse 8. Verse 5 says, you also as lively stones, that's us, we're built up into a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. See, we're holy people. That makes a lot of people nervous. Oh, what, you think you're better than me? Well, yeah, in a way I am. I know I'm smarter because I'm not arguing with somebody who declares what God has told them they are. See, that's all we're doing is declaring and making evidence in the earth that we're holy people. Without holiness, people don't get healed if you pray for them. Without holiness, you don't get a prayer answered. When you, you don't get a paycheck. You don't get nothing without that. That's the key to everything. It was sin that caused the problem, right? Am I not right? Then holiness takes care of the problem. So that is the problem in the earth. It's not global warming. That's just a manifestation of hell heating up. Huh? Getting ready. Not for me, but it's getting ready for a lot of people to bust in there if they don't get saved. So he says your lively stones built upon a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. That's why people give you money. Miss Donna gets money all the time, offerings for the church. Amen. They don't give money to people that ain't holy. Are you kidding me? And some of them don't even want to give that, but God makes them do it. I mean, holiness will get you stuff that people don't want to give you. It'll slide it right out of their hands. What did Oral Roberts have said? A man sent him like maybe a $100,000 check. He said, I don't like you. I don't watch you, but God told me to do this. Now, he hates a man of God, but he can hear, he got sense enough to hear God tell him to do something. So he, he, they obey. So holiness, uh, 
yields very much fruit in this earth. He says, verse 6, Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious. That's Jesus. And he that believes on him shall not be confounded. In other words, you won't be disappointed in the day of judgment when you stand before God. You won't be saying, oh, I thought I had, I thought I was saved. I thought I had salvation. You know, there are people who have been on the wrong road and mercifully God showed them they weren't before they left this earth. So if we are lively stones and we're built upon this spiritual house, you won't be, uh, you won't fall short of anything not in this life or in the life to come. You'll automatically know. You know every day that you belong to God. You know every day that your election is sure. You have that you have that witness of the Holy Spirit on the inside of you that tells you these things. And he says, verse 7, he says, Unto you therefore which believe, he is precious. But unto them which are disobedient, the stone which the builders disallow, the same is made the head of the corner. And a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. Imagine the Pharisees. When they found out that Jesus was alive, the same ones that days before had ordered his death, they were more nervous after they killed him than they ever were beforehand. You understand what I'm saying? And many times the Bible says they sought to take his life, but because of the people looking on, they they didn't do it. They were scared of what the people would say. Now they're scared of what God's going to say. Amen? Because now that he's raised from the dead and everything that he said about himself they know is finally true, that's why they were more angry at Paul and more angry at the disciples. Remember the ones that, that vowed that they, they went on a fast and vowed they wouldn't eat anything until they murdered Paul? Huh? That's how angry they were. Imagine, not eating anything. I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill him. Who are they fasting to? Huh? The God that could do anything, he's with Paul over here. Got him out of town. Let him down. They said let him down a basket. It was probably the basket that they used for bathroom purposes. Yeah, that basket. Uh, and so Paul jumped right on over it. I'm alive. Huh? I'm poopy, but I'm alive. Amen. <laughs> so, <laughs> praise God. <laughs> so anyway, so he says unto you which are, are believe, he's precious. But unto them that are disobedient, the stone the builders disallow has become the head of the stoner. It's corner, a stone of stumbling. A rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient. And so it says now we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation and a peculiar people. To show forth the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. So why did the Jews stumble at Jesus? We said they had their own understanding of who the Messiah was, how he would come. And when they saw Jesus in the flesh, he did not fit in with anything that they preconceived about him. And this is how people stumble over Christ and not receive him. They, they have some preconceived notion about what God's going to do, 
what he's going to be like. Even some people, if they if they start to learn some things about God and misunderstand something about the scriptures, they can be turned off and stumble over it. So really, people who stumble over something are not careful to examine what it is they stumble over. See, and that's the Pharisees. They were stiff-necked and a prideful people. And they walked haughtily upon the earth. And so if they stumbled over this, they paid no mind to it. They kept walking like they were cool. See? The ones who stumble will stop and examine what it is. You know, Just like Moses, when, when the bush burned and it wasn't consumed, he turned aside to see what it was. Now, from my understanding, in the desert, bushes dry out and they spontaneously burn all the time. So it's a common sight. But he looked at this one and it burned and it, it just wasn't ever, didn't ever get burnt up. And so that caught his attention. And so instead of him stumbling over it and assuming it's the same as it always is. That's the worst thing we can do as believers, as human beings, is make an assumption that life is always the way it is, that it's so predictable, that it's so routine. I'm going along the way I've always gone along. You know, people who are wealthy find ways to, to get rid of everything that's difficult in their lives. You know, if they have cancer, I'm going to beat it. I know I'm going to beat it. You know, I've got a good team of doctors and you got all the money in the world and all that kind of stuff. They always want their lives to be like normal. When God is sending stumbling blocks into our lives sometimes every day to get our attention and show us that there's something out here beside what we think it's like all the time. And so Jesus, amen, Jesus being a stumbling block to everybody, it's, it's, the question is, what do you think you need to do about that which you stumble over? Hmm? What do you think you need to do about that which you stumble over? This is, this is why we can go to family reunions and, and seldom do the people change. Year after year after year. They're doing the same thing they always do. Why? Because they haven't really stumbled over the stumbling stone. They haven't really examined Jesus to look and see if there might be something different about him that they don't know yet. So they stumble because they disobey the message. And the Jew was destined to stumble over Jesus, the stumbling block. That was his destiny from the foundation of the earth. What happened to the Jewish nation was already planned for them by God. They were not going to walk from a natural way of living and thinking about God right into the kingdom. They had to make a decision about it. Amen. And so the decision that the Jewish nation had made was that Jesus was their Messiah. He was coming. Many times when the disciples would have a controversy among themselves, it was because they were stumbling over him. He's supposed to be the one to come and liberate the nation of Israel. We have that now in different religions. They're all looking for a way to overcome their natural circumstances. And if the God that they are, are, are um, trying to decide to serve doesn't need enough of those natural requirements, they don't want to have anything to do with them. See, many times, when you see, you see the ones that stumbled, you see some of the examples in the Bible. People that Jesus would tell them, follow me. 
They have an excuse. One was a rich young ruler. So money always separates people from God. If you have enough money, you can pretty much buy anything you need. You can wait out and, and, and buy enough time to do everything that you want to do on the earth. You can put it off day after day. Everybody that he, he called to make a decision right away, put it off for another time. Huh? It's always, why? Because they are satisfied. They're content with their lives. And so they stumble. Here he is giving them an op- and they stumble over it and don't even look back. They just keep going into the life that they're being living all along. And so you want to stumble and have to sit there and weep and moan. Amen. Cry about your bruises. Cry out to God. This has stopped my life. And so when you stumble and you and you examine it, it has stopped your life. And if you let it stop your life long enough, you'll come up with the right answer. But if you don't stop and consider long enough, you're going to keep on, keep on going into the same old nonsense and shenanigans that you've been doing. And then one day it will be too late. See, you'll stumble no more. You just He'll let you go on about your life and won't, uh, won't allow you to, to stop and consider who Jesus is. So in Romans 3 verse 2, it talks to you a little bit about the Jew and and how God had to set him up to come into the kingdom by faith. So we're, we're all coming in by faith. It says here in Romans 3 verse 2, it says, because unto them, well, it's, uh, Paul here is giving a, a teaching on circumcision. And, you know, some of his stuff gets pretty long. <laughs> but uh, just the essence of this little passage it says, what advantage, in other words, he says, what advantage did the Jew have in circumcision? And he says, what advantage then hath the Jew, or what profit is there in circumcision? He says, much, in every way. In its time, circumcision was the way to God. He said, chiefly because unto them were committed the oracles of God. So the Jew was given the scriptures. He was entrusted with God's word for the whole earth. That's a pretty high calling, folks. That's a very high calling. We're entrusted with the gospel as believers. All believers are now. But at that time, the Jews saw God do extraordinary things to preserve them. Why? Because they carried something in them that was precious to the earth. They're the only ones who had true relationship with the real and living God. They knew God's laws. They had God's promises, you know, that had been handed down from generation to generation. They had a relationship with God where he would pick out some of them and give them the scripture. This Bible that nothing can be added to now. These normal, natural, walking around people have backslidden and have, you know, murmuring and complaining backslidden a lot of the times but still they were entrusted it's mind blowing and if what they had was glorious during their day think of what we have now we're entrusted with the same things but on a higher level on a more profitable level on a level that we can make more available to more people on a freer level you know, if you so decide, you could have a soul-winning encounter every day of your life. All we got to do is stop thinking about us most of the time. When you get up in the morning, 
instead of thinking about what you're going to do, how hard it's going to be, and oh boy, my boss again, I sure hope I don't run into this. You know, we plot who we ain't going to want to run into. Oh, like how much money we need for this and that. And if we could just reverse that. And God, what do you, could put somebody in my life, can it, what would it take for me to be able to win a soul every day? You know, that kind of thing. And so they were entrusted the holy scriptures that kept an account of God's dealing with man in the earth. He says, for what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God with, without effect? He said, God forbid. Yeah, let God be true in every man alive. He says, that you might be justified in your sayings and might overcome when you were judged. But if there are unrighteousness commended the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unrighteous? God forbid. Then how shall God judge the world? says, for if the truth of God had more abounded through my lie unto his glory, why yet am I also judged as a sinner? And not rather, as we be slanderously reported, as some affirm that we say, let us do evil that good may come, whose damnation is just. And so Paul says here, if the Jew in his disobedience caused the Gentile nation to be recipients of the gospel, Our further disobedience is going to cause greater glory to come into the earth. So then the Jew has gone for centuries now without a clear vision of God. Why? Because to level the playing field. Because where the sinner is naturally blinded to the truth, the Jew, having been given the scriptures and the covenants, had a measure of the truth that he couldn't cash in on because the covenant's going to be done away with. So God had to blind them and put them in unbelief to level the playing field. Other than that, we, would have, we, we could all go around and say, them Jews got an advantage over us because they had God all They got in on a, on a technicality. You got me? They got in. They slid in under the old covenant and it expired on us. And then we had to start from scratch by faith. But his covenant has always been by faith. It was by faith to the Jew, and it's by faith to the Gentile. So what he did was he blinded the Jew to the knowledge of himself. So he's walking around just like a sinner in his understanding of God. Just one day, all of a sudden, it shut down on him. And God didn't honor it anymore. And so now he has to humble himself and not stumble at the stumbling stone. See, many of them to this day are waiting for Jesus to come the first time. See? And we're trying to tell him, hey, listen, he's been here already. Got it right here. Coming back, though. You know, what can you say? And many times you try to witness to the Jew, they're very callous and blasphemous in their talk about them. You think, how could you talk about the Lord like that? It's because of they're blinded because of unbelief. So I'll show you that in a minute in the scripture. In John 12... Jesus talked about that. And this is why when he dealt with the Jews, he would do it in parables. Because they couldn't understand straight talk. John 12, I think it's verse 30. Thirty-seven. It says, but though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed on him not. 
curtain has come down on their natural believing and their natural faith. That the saying of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled which he spoke, Lord, who hath believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe because that Isaiah said again, he had blinded their eyes, hardened their hearts, that they should not see with their eyes nor understand with their hearts and be converted and I should heal them. And so God has blinded the minds of all men. The Gentile or people like us that start out with no knowledge of God are naturally blinded. The Jew had a natural understanding of God, but in this covenant there's no natural inheritance anymore. See, you can't inherit through the natural anything that pertains to God. See? So the preacher kid situation or the prodigal son situation. Even though your dad may be wealthy or your dad might be the pastor, your mom might be the pastor, anything you don't naturally just become pastor because you're physically related to that individual because you're the son. This is a, a spiritual covenant and you must come by way of the blood. And so every mind is blinded to the, the reality of Christ until we meet God's standards and God's requirement for entering into this covenant. You can't stumble at the stumbling block. You can't be too busy for, for to take time with God so that he can uh, minister to you and help you understand his covenant. You can't be too, um, uh, too picky about what you do after you're saved. You, it's giving your whole life to God. You just can't have. You can't take what you wanted all your life. And transfer it over into God's kingdom and expect God to honor it and give you everything you've always wanted. You've got to relinquish that to him. You've got to trust God with these things. Now I know God wants to give us many things. Listen, I didn't even know what a preacher was growing up. See, that was never on my radar of desire to do with my life. I can't, I'm not going to tell y'all what I wanted to do. <laughs> it's either illegal, immoral, or utterly shenanigans. But you know what I'm saying. When you're carnal, you just think carnal stuff. I would want to have fun, you know, and, and that kind of stuff. And so serving God wasn't even on my little mind. But I'm going to tell you something. People off and on, people would tell me things like, if say like if I would cuss or something, and somebody would say, so you don't even look right saying that. You know, and I wasn't even saved. But there were people, or I had an aunt who was, you know, she was a little witchy. You know, some people, now she was, she was saved, you know, she was, but in denominational salvation. And she would, she was prophetic, you know, perceptive about things. And she, baby, you got the gift. I don't know what the gift, you know. Or, or you know, and if I would, when I, when I would model or something like that, they would say, you, this, it, something, you know, we call it it. We don't know what it is. We can't tell you what it costs or how you got it, but it's it. And that it is the, the drawing of God to you. It's the gifting of God that's not yet developed. But there's something, you know, it's, I know you, we, one day you're going to be something else. You know, people say stuff like that. And so <laughs> this is something else. I hope this is something else they were talking about. But you know what I'm talking about. And so there's that, that mark 
that's on you when you're called. You're called from the foundation of the earth. And somebody with a little perception is going to pick up on it off and on throughout your life. And so those things add up to making it a little bit easier for you to release everything to God. It starts to add up in your brain somehow. You know, uh, well, this must be what people saw. This must be what this is, you know. And so you get settled in it because God makes it clear to you. All of a sudden, all the mud that was ever in your life, you know, the water gets clear. Now you can see who you really are. And so you don't stumble anymore at the stumbling block. So we're at John 12 and 38 through 40. So they were, they were blinded to the light of the glorious gospel. That's what Paul, that's the way he described it. And you see that example in the life of Paul. Where when he was on his way, now think about how blinded he was and how he stumbled for so long at the stumbling block. Not only was he a Pharisee and was against the teachings of Christ... Now it doesn't say it, but oftentimes when Jesus would teach in the synagogue, the the religious leaders would have meetings against him, you know, with the people. People do that now. You know, churches where there's no power. They're always against the people that do have power. You know, I, I was uh when we first moved to Detroit we would visit a lot of churches and the boy when Benny Hinn came to town, everybody Told their people, you can get your healing here. You know, why do you have to wait until, you don't have to wait, come up now. Nobody got healed, of course, you know. But, but you know, that's the way the religious are. They want to keep a lock. They're very insecure about their hold on people. And they want to keep a lock on people and don't want them to, to get out and really experience God. You know, really experience God. And so Paul was like that. He would have the anti-Jesus meetings at the synagogue and and tell people from the scriptures why he wasn't the Messiah. He's supposed to be this, that, and the other. He's not supposed to be walking around. He's not a carpenter's son. He was born illegitimate, all this kind of stuff. And so they stumbled continually and taught other people to stumble. And there's a greater condemnation on you when you teach others to stumble. Amen. And so this is what happened to him until one day he's on his way and he would and and they would get uh, letters. At this time, the Jews were not allowed their own government like they were when God governed them. They were captives of, of the government of Rome. So everything that the Jews wanted to do in a legal court, they had to go through the Romans to get permission to do it. And so Paul would, would draft letters saying that Christians were blaspheming God and that was punishable by death. And so they went around getting permission from all the Caesars to come out and stone all the Christians. Well, on his way to stone some more Christians, he gets knocked off of his horse and struck blind. And so he is the example that the Jew was, his mind was blinded to the light of the gospel. And so Paul already be having a darkened mind and being blinded from the truth of who Jesus was, gets it done in the natural. 
So he is the example. So everywhere he went, his testimony is, I was so blind to the truth that I was struck blind. And then when my eyes came open, I saw Jesus as he really was. And that's the testimony. He gave that testimony everywhere that he went. And so even though he he was called to the Gentiles to preach to them, he preached to everybody. But he especially had a ministry to the Jewish people to demonstrate to them their blindness to spiritual truth. Yes, we have been given the scriptures. Yes, we have been given. Yes, we have been given all of this stuff. It's just like religious people. I'm saved, but I don't know about this speaking in tongues. Well, you're blinded to most of what God wants us to have because your flesh cannot break that veil, the revelation that comes when the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit comes and resides in your life. It can't do it. The power's not there. A lot of things are missing without the gift of tongues. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit. And so uh, Paul was that way. He was that example to the Jewish nation. God in his mercy had to make a demonstration life out of somebody to show the Jewish people what had happened to them so that they could repent and come to the light of the gospel. You think you have a corner on the knowledge of God, but you're blind. You used to have it, but now you've been blinded. And you to level the playing field so we don't have any favorite kids going into God's kingdom. Everybody's got to come by faith, by way of the blood, by what the blood of Jesus has paid for them. Not your knowledge of the scriptures, not your ancestry from the tribe of Judah or the tribe of Levi or any of that Levitical priesthood is done away with. Now everybody's a priest. Uh, you can pray you're a priest. If you save and you baptize the Holy Spirit, you're a priest. Amen. So we have a royal priesthood as well. We're rulers on this earth. Not just people who, who uh, uh, keep the... The temple sacrifices going, but we are rulers on this earth now. We've had something added to us in this. So God then begins to sweeten the pot as an incentive and a motive for the Jew to repent and to come into a knowledge of Christ and the gospel. And God placed Jesus in a position of being the great question posed to humanity. Is he or isn't he the son of God? If he is the Son of God, what does this mean to you? You What does this mean to you if he is the Son of God? To the Jew, he was destined to stumble. In Romans 11, let me turn there. That was his destiny. He was destined to come into, the Bible says he came to his own, speaking of Jesus, but his own received him not. But to those who received him, amen, to them was given power to become the sons of God. The Jew often boasted that he was a son of Abraham, a natural inheritance. But we are the sons of God, amen. It's a higher inheritance. In Romans eight thirty, uh, thirty, it says, "Even as you in times past have not believed God, yet have now obtained mercy through their unbelief." Or see, Paul's talking to Romans are a Gentile group of believers, and he's telling them that you receive mercy because of the unbelief of the Jew. 
Amen. And so he says, even so, in verse 31, even so have these also now not believed that through your mercy they may obtain, obtain mercy. For God has concluded them all in unbelief that he might have mercy upon all. So there's nobody coming into this relationship with God with an advantage. Everybody starts out blinded to the truth of the gospel. And then God sends somebody out to preach the gospel to us with the power to open our blinded eyes. And take the blindness off of our minds so that we can see the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. The Jews did not pursue by faith but by works. Works and pride go hand in hand. That's why it's hard for prideful people to break that cycle and come into the belief of God. Israel experienced a hardening of their heart in part until the fullness of the Gentiles will come in. And this way all Israel will be saved. Everybody who's, who's left will be saved because the fullness of the Gentiles will come in. That's why you see a trickle every now and then you see a Jewish person get saved. And so God has reserved them for a time when they will all come in. They are enemies of the gospel. So we could be grafted into the vine of God. We used to be disobedient. But when we came upon the stumbling stone we stopped to examine it. That's the thing that makes you eligible for salvation. That you don't leap over it and keep going. Israel just kept walking in disobedience and we humbled ourselves and listened. That's why at most of Jesus' meetings you see the centurion get saved. You see the Syrophoenician. You see the, the uh, Samaritan get saved. You see and the Jews looking on, whispering, plotting, ready to kill him. Why? Because they're trying to get their inheritance in a natural flow and, and by works instead of by faith. All they had to do was question it. And faith would rise up in their hearts to believe. That's when faith starts to work on us. When we hit a wall where we can't get an answer. And that's when your faith will start to rise up out of you. Amen. Israel assumed they knew because they were entrusted with the scriptures. They didn't think they could learn any more about God. So they're religious people that think they know it all. They can't learn that. You'll find them. If you talk to them about tongues and they're not baptized in the spirit. I I got the spirit. I got the Holy Ghost. I got this. I got that. I got everything. Amen. He says, but the Gentile acknowledging his sin and unbelief and ignorance of God stumbled into salvation. So that's what happened to most of us. I can tell you from my experience and probably most of yours, you weren't looking for God. You were looking for help. Amen. And the helper showed up. Amen. So God knew your your problem was permanent sin. And he gave you a permanent remedy. It's not just a, a bill paid or a little relief from trouble or a marriage back together again. But you have a permanent remedy now for what is. We were once disobedient. But through repentance we obtained mercy. The Jew is now the one who is in disobedience of God, of his covenant. And they too will receive God's mercy as a result of God's mercy toward us. So they rejected the chief of the corner, the chief cornerstone, the stone of stumbling and the rock of offense. They rejected him. We picked him up. 
Amen. And we examined him. And we tasted and saw that the Lord was good. And we decided to give our lives to Christ. And so as people of mercy, now they come in because of our mercy. How? It's not automatic. We pray for them. When we, <laughs> when we mercifully pray for the sinner, when we pray for salvation for people, the mercy that they rejected, that we received, now gives mercy toward them. In the sight of God. And so God's covenant becomes real because you, because of, 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 God can never be said to be hard, harsh, mean, or mean taskmaster. Because he's provided what's needed for humanity. And that's why he wants his family reconciled all the time. It would be a hard world if we stayed angry at everybody all the time. We couldn't pray and we couldn't touch God for the world. So he says, I don't want you bottled up like that anymore. I have a release for all animosity, all strife, all family contention. Uh, in my family, in God's family, in your natural family, he has a remedy and that's the blood covenant. Why? He wants us loose in the earth so we can do our job for him. Because we've received great mercy because that mercy was shut off from the Jewish nation. We, the Gentile nation, received it. And so God wants it freely given just like we received it freely. He wants us to know that the blood settles all contention, strife, and arguments, all disputes, disagreements, all he said, she said, they don't like me, I don't like them. The blood settles all of that if we will let this blood work for us. And so the.